I believe in the Holy Spirit. So starts the Creed's third paragraph. From the creating work of the Father and the rescue work of the Son, we now turn to the recreating work of the Spirit, whereby we are made new in and through Christ. Join pastors Kirk Sexton and Bruce Johnson as we discuss the theology surrounding the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of the Trinity. Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. I'm Pastor Kirk Sexton, and with me is my good friend and colleague, Pastor Bruce Johnson. And Kirk, today we're both in our beach attire because it's Vacation Bible School Week. Yeah, we call this multitasking. Multitasking, exactly. And you were multitasking this past Sunday because... In addition to doing all the wonderful, normal things you do on a Sunday morning, you are also preaching at South Scottsdale Presbyterian Church. Yes, uh, that was uh, that was a great treat to fill in for Jackie, and it was uh, it was you know a really nice worship, and uh, was uh, it was great, great way to celebrate uh, celebrate Pentecost. So, because I did not hear your sermon uh, on the Holy Spirit, because that's what we're looking at today, that part of the Apostles' Creed that says. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Tell us about your sermon. Well, I wanted to focus mostly on the recreating work of the Spirit, whereby we are made one uh, in Christ and uh, talked about salvation. And I also provided a prayer at the end. So in case there was anybody there that hadn't had a chance to Ask God to send the Holy Spirit to do that, and uh, it was it was great. I had a, a good time. I'm, I was uh, struck by the text. It says that uh, Jesus tells them, "It's to your advantage that I go away." And of course, He tells them later, and He tells them in earlier too. Don't let your hearts be troubled, but their hearts are troubled, and He wants to tell them more and more, but. They just can't hear it. They are just unable to bear it. So it's a, it's a great text. And that text is in John chapter 16. Now John chapter 16 is uh, in the middle of a passage we call the Last Supper Discourse because we have, I guess it's from chapter 13 on through 17. It's all about Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. Yes, and I recommended to people that that would be some great devotional reading this week as we meditate on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's read a portion of that. This is from John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15. Chapter 16, verses 7 through 15. Listen to the word of the Lord. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father, and you will see me no longer, about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will bear when the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine 
and declare it to you. All that the Father is, all that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. There's quite a bit in that passage to pause and think about. One of the parts that has long inspired thinking in my mind is verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Mm-hmm. In other words, I may not be ready for something that God wants me to know, really right. wants me to know, but the Spirit is the one that can help guide me in that and, and tell me that. Right, especially, uh, um, I, I talked about that in my sermon, that when we read Holy Scripture, we we read that in cooperation with the Spirit. So if we're not understanding something, we should pray about it and say, Lord, help me understand this Scripture. And that's the kind of prayer that God wants to answer, mm. which always makes me more confident when I pray. When I pray and I know it's in God's will already, mm. it makes me more confident saying, well, this is a prayer that God is going to answer. Yeah, and I also talked about in my sermon the idea that prayer, um, talking about the Romans 8, how the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer, uh, that even when we don't know how to pray, uh, the the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and, and makes a great prayer. I don't know if you've ever had a chance or, or an opportunity when you weren't able to pray or didn't have words for prayer, but you're groaning and maybe your tears were probably the best prayer you've ever made. I have groaned in prayer mm. many times in my life, sure. Mm. Sometimes all I can get out is, Lord, help me, mm. or Lord, watch over me. And uh, the Spirit fills in the rest. Exactly. Well, another passage we think about when we think of the Holy Spirit, of course, is the story of Pentecost, which is found in Acts chapter 2, the first 16 verses. Well, it actually goes on further than that, but we will read the first 16 verses. And it begins with all of those tongue-twisting place names we find of people that assembled in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost, Shavuot, uh, Hebrew. And so Acts chapter 2 reads this way. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. At, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they ask, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are all filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Fellow Jews and all who are 
living in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And at that point, he begins to quote the prophecy from Joel chapter 2 about uh, the Spirit of God being poured on all flesh, young people uh, dreaming or seeing visions, and old people dreaming dreams. Yeah, your sons and daughters shall, shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. I, well, I'm dream an old dreams. man now. I'm at the point of dreaming dreams, but uh, <laughs> grateful yeah. for God's Spirit to come yeah. in. What a great sermon. And it was amazing to me that he was, you know, Peter, kind of kind of a stumbler, a bumbler. But here he does this eloquent sermon on the day of Pentecost. Right. Really reviewing everything God had done in Old Testament times and how it all leads up to Jesus. Mm. And now that people need to make a choice. Right. Uh, Jesus has come to provide salvation. And uh, we're called upon to make a decision to believe and to give our lives to him. Well, in our notes, I see you have some really fine material from our denomination, from our essential tenets. Yes, and I think uh, an important point to make here is the Trinitarian structure of the Apostles' Creed. We've talked about that earlier mm -hmm. in uh, this series of podcasts about how it's structured around God the Father God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And right here, just to make sure that we don't miss that Trinitarian structure, we have the repetition of the first words, I believe, mm -hmm. again. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Right. When we compare that to the Nicene Creed, the Nicene Creed goes a little bit more in depth about the Spirit, the Spirit's work, the kinds of things that you are discussing about that you covered in your sermon. Mm -hmm. So this is from the Nicene Creed. This is a parallel passage. Mm -hmm. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, was spoken through the prophets. So uh, the work of the Spirit uh, in terms of being part of the Trinity, how the Spirit and God the Father and God the Son are all worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. Mm. And it's the same spirit that spoke through the prophets that's now living within our hearts. So really, really fine um, expansion of what we find in the Apostles' Creed. We find right there in the Nicene Creed. Okay. Now, we've also looked at archaeology, and uh, I'd be interested to know what you found for us in archaeology concerning Pentecost and the the anointing of the church. You would think that there would not be much, but oh, contraire. Oh. So when you read Acts chapter 2, you, you know, we know from you know, sermons and Sunday school lessons, we think about the day of Pentecost, the Spirit coming as they're all assembled in one place, mm -hmm. the book of Acts tells us. And we usually think of that one place being the upper room right? on the what would we call the Western Hill of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is like a pitchfork and, uh, with three prongs, uh, and you have three valleys that divide Jerusalem in different sections. You have the Kidron Valley that divides Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Mm -hmm. You have the Central Valley, and then you have the uh, valley that's to the west, and that is the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom, the Hinnom Valley. Mm. So between the Middle Valley, the Central Valley, and the Hinnom Valley is the Western Hill. 
That's where the Last Supper takes place. That's the high-rent district of Jerusalem in New Testament times where he had um, the foundations of buildings that were deep enough or strong enough to support a second story. Mm. See all that on the Western Hill. Mm. But when you read Acts chapter 1, you notice that you had a lot of people gathered in one place, and you also have a, uh, an opportunity to baptize 3,000 people. So where can you find space for 3,000 or more people to gather all in one place, an open area in Jerusalem? And where are you going to find water enough to baptize 3,000 people? And you can't find that on the Western Hill. You can find that easily on the Temple Mount area. So mm-hmm. the Temple Mount is between the Central Valley and the Kidron Valley, so going from west to east. Mm. And the uh, Western Hill is to the west of that. So uh, a lot of exploration was done in the late 19th century by the Palestine Exploration Fund, the PEF. They did the survey of Western Palestine, uh, which was successful and completed, and the survey of Eastern Palestine, which was never finished. But in Western Palestine, they spent a lot of time uh, exploring and doing archaeological uh, digs and, and explorations around Jerusalem. And there's a man named Charles Warren. He did a lot of work right around the Temple Mount documenting during surveys of how many cisterns and how many ritual baths are constructed around the Temple Mount, in and around the Temple Mount. Mm. And those ritual baths are called mikvot or a mikvah. And in fact, we have a, a mikvah here in Scottsdale really? at Temple Beth Israel. Yeah, a mikvot uh, that was constructed there for, pe- for Jews to go through ceremonial washings at different points in their lives. Mm. They're constructed so you um, uh, have steps down into a pool of water, and then you come up one side of the steps and you come out another side of the steps, and that's part of the purification process. So baptism, as we practice it in, in the Christian church is an outgrowth of that same practice of ceremonial washings. I know that the Essenes had similar kinds of, uh, I've seen some archaeology where they think it's like an Essene community that had these, you walk in and walk out bathing, kind of ritual bathing. Um, you call them what again? A mikvah. A mikvah. But um, I, I was unaware that that the Jews had that. Yes, we find that uh, all over uh, the modern state of Israel in archaeological digs, and we find that in and around the Temple Mount. So there was this change uh, that happened in the Byzantine period. The Byzantine period is between uh, 256 and 640 AD. That's the Byzantine period in Jerusalem. And within that period, there was a movement to change the name of Mount Zion. They moved it from the Temple Mount to the Western Hill Mm. because the Byzantines believed that the Last Supper uh, took place on the Western Hill, which we we know archaeologically is the best candidate for that. And there's a verse in the Bible about the Word of God going out from Mount Zion. And so they said, well, it must have gone out from where Jesus and his disciples met for the Last Supper. And so they, instead of calling... Mount Zion, or calling the Temple Mount, Mount Zion, they started calling the Western Hill Mount Zion. And so in Byzantine tradition, you begin having pilgrims mention the fact that, oh, it must be on the Western Hill that the day of Pentecost happened. So mm. it's interesting. Um, because of that theological shift 
in the place name moving from one hill to another. We grow up uh, attending church, hearing sermons and Sunday schools about the day of Pentecost happening on the Western Hill, the same upper room where Jesus and his disciples had the Last Supper. Mm. But that's actually not in the text of the New Testament, something that was added to it. Mm. And it uh, may very well be that the coming of the Spirit happened not on the Western Hill in the upper room uh, where the Last Supper took place, but actually occurred on the Temple Mount in the courts of the Temple. That's amazing. That's great. Well, we've also looked each week for, uh, in our essential tenets, we've got some of our some of our creeds that uh, we subscribe to. Um, we have uh, some of those for us. So what did you choose for us to look at today? Well, first, a statement uh, just from the essential tenets themselves. Again, essential tenets are different from the, from the eco-confessional standards. Mm. Eco-confessional standards are good advice from past generations of Christians. The essential tenets of eco are those, uh, that doctrinal statement that we ask all pastors and elders and deacons of eco to say we will abide by Mm -hmm. those essential tenets. So so from the essential tenets themselves is uh, this statement. Jesus promised his disciples that he would not leave them comfortless when he ascended into heaven, but he would ask the Father to send them the Holy Spirit as a comforter and advocate. We're able to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and God only through the work of the Holy Spirit. He comes to us as he came to the gathered disciples at Pentecost to kindle our faith, to embolden our witness, and to accompany us in mission. That's great. So really a summary of those two texts that uh, we've looked at this past Sunday. Mm. And from the confessional standards uh, themselves, these are other um, statements of faith and confessions from different centuries of the Christian faith. Uh, One of them is the Heidelberg Catechism, and it asks the question, uh, this is question 53 from the Heidelberg Catechism, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, first, that with the Father and the Son, he is equally eternal God. Second, that God's Spirit is also given to me preparing me through a true faith to share in Christ and all his benefits, that he comforts me and will abide with me forever. So again, this emphasis on the Holy Spirit is not an add-on. He's, he's very God, truly God, one of the three persons of God, and that the Spirit is that presence of God that is working in my life to do good things. Yeah, that answers the question about the Holy Spirit sometimes called the shy member of the Trinity, but the Holy Spirit is a co-equal. And uh, we sometimes, I think, think of it as a subordinate because often the Spirit is sent by the Father or sent by the Son. And so we think of it as sort of not as important or subordinate in the relationship, but that's clearly not what this confession says. Yeah, and sometimes the Spirit isn't talked about because Christians are a little uncertain, well, what do we mean by the Spirit? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that gets in the way. I, uh, you will recall, Kirk, that I was raised in the Pentecostal tradition. That's right, yes. So uh, in the Pentecostal tradition, we did not really observe Pentecost. Uh, which, <laughs> which <laughs> every, kind of, Sunday Pentecost. <laughs> every Sunday was Pentecost. Every Sunday was Pentecost. But we did have a lot of manifestations of uh, signs and wonders, you know, people speaking in tongues uh, or, or uh, somebody having a 
fresh insight from God that they thought, well, this is something God wants us to hear right now. Then the rest of the church had to judge like, well, was that really God's spirit? Uh, is this uh, somebody's emotional emotions getting away with him or her? Mm-hmm. Or is this really something we need to hear now? So yeah. very dynamic worship environment. Well, and it's difficult sometimes to discern what is flesh and what is spirit, right? Well, yeah, and we see that not just in a, like a Bible study or a Pentecostal worship service. We see that in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. We get an impression and we wonder, gosh, is this the Lord trying to tell me something? Is this um, something else? And it drives us to prayer and it drives us to seek the counsel of other Christians, both of which are good things. Yes. We're supposed to be discerning, so that's, we are. that's a good thing. I have a surprise for you. What's that? I also have a Pentecostal background. Is that right? Tell me about that, Well, Kirk. my mother was raised Pentecostal, and my grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher, and my great-grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher. So what do you recall from uh, that kind of family background? Well, I don't recall much. My my grandfather died quite young in his 50s Hmm. so i don't really remember him but i have pictures and i have this one especially that is uh, pretty cool it's he's holding a bible in his hand and then he has his other hand over his head sort of motioning at the bible you know what i mean right so it's kind of like and and I remember when my mother would uh, come and see me preach, she'd say, you need to use your hands more. <laughs> <laughs> well, know. of course, that's that's what she grew up with. That's right. what she was used to. Yes. Oh, I love that. So um, in addition to the Heidelberg Catechism, we have the Westminster Confession. Right. Uh, we'll look at some words both from the Westminster Confession and then from the Westminster Larger Catechism. So from the Westminster Confession itself, this is from chapter 2, which speaks of God and the Holy Trinity. In point 3 there it says, In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. So this is a retelling of the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed uh, was put together in the third century. Uh, But it was changed uh, later on um, by the Pope without um, consulting other church leaders, uh, which uh, was one of the things that led to the great schism of 1054 between the Western churches and the Eastern Orthodox churches. So one of the things that was added was the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father, and they added the words, and the Son. So there's some, some controversy about all of that. But mm-hmm. here the Westminster Confession uh, reflecting the Western tradition, the Western understanding that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. That's a deep dive in theology, isn't that, Kurt? Yes, that's a very deep dive. We could study that for a while. We could, and, and, and as we do, we must remember the Trinity is a mystery. Mm. That at some point, all our logic, all our understanding, all our biblical exegesis will break down, and, and it's like, this is who God is, mm. a mysterious. Holy mystery. Yeah. St. Augustine talked about Holy Trinity in terms of God being love. If God is love, there has to be some 
diversity within God or something going on because you have to have an object of the love. So St. Augustine talked about God the Father being the lover, God the Son being the beloved, and the Holy Spirit being the love itself mm. between the Father and the Son mm. uh, as a way to say, how do we hold those things? God is oh, one God and three persons, and God is love itself at the same time. Mm. I so, like that. I, I like that too. Um, it still remains a mystery, but, right. but it makes the mystery personal when I talk or when I think about it in that way. That's great. Well, the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 155, says, How is the word made effectual to salvation? And the answer is, The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. What I really appreciate about that is you can almost turn those words into a prayer. Mm. You know, uh, have the Holy Spirit conform me into the image of Christ. Holy Spirit, uh, make sure that my will yields to your will. Uh, make sure that you give me strength against temptations and so on. All those things that we ask God to do to make us more Christ-like, mm. that's the work of God's Spirit within us. Well, there was, uh, while I was preaching on the Holy Spirit last Sunday, a man got up, put on his backpack, and left. You inspired him so much that he must go out with that word and tell others. You couldn't even wait till the end of it, the sermon. He had to do that at <laughs> that moment. I didn't want to know what to make of it. Um, but well, it was... It was I, I, will, I will take that that's what was going on. Okay. All right. I thought maybe he was convinced, you know, he was like convicted and then said, I, I can't take it anymore. I'm leaving. <laughs> well, convicted or inspired. Maybe, well, we also, each week, have been looking at a different apostle, and this week we're looking at Bartholomew. And it's interesting because he's in the list of the 12 apostles from the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke. But his name does not appear in the Gospel of John. Instead, we have the name Nathaniel. Mm. And so, traditionally, people have associated Bartholomew and Nathaniel as the same person. Now, Bartholomew is a Hebrew name. It means Bar-Ptolemy. It comes from Bar-Ptolemy. Ptolemy is the furrows. In other words, uh, a farmer, and Bar means son of, so he's a farmer's son. Mm. He's from the sticks, in other words. Right. So maybe it was Nathaniel who was from the sticks. Right. Bartholomew. And Bartholomew is, uh, from the Middle Ages on, associated with the phrase, I believe in the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed. And we have some fairly early traditions about Bartholomew, the first historian of the church, besides the Gospel writer of Luke, the first person to write of church history was Eusebius of Caesarea. And in his ecclesiastical history, he mentions that Bartholomew went to India and took there with him as he spread the Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew. And later, St. Jerome, who translated the Bible into Latin, mentions the same tradition that the Apostle Bartholomew took the Gospel of Matthew 
to India. Uh, and there are certain uh, villages in India where they ha carry on that tradition. They believe that Bartholomew was there with one of the other apostles um, and served as a missionary. So they, they honor him. Uh, he's also honored by the Armenian Orthodox Church. And they consider themselves as um, people that have uh, come to faith in Christ through the work of and the ministry of Bartholomew along with St. Thaddeus and those are the patron saints of Armenia. So very interesting traditions mm. about Bartholomew. Interesting. Thank and, you, and being the son of a farmer myself, I identify with Bartholomew. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. Thank you. Each week we have a quote from C.S. Lewis. What do you have for us today, Bruce? Well, this is from C.S. Lewis's uh, very famous work, Mere Christianity. And here he talks about the Holy Spirit and its relation to the rest of the person, the, o the other persons of the Trinity. So Lewis writes, what grows out of the joint life of the Father and the Son is a real person, is in fact the third of the three persons who are God. This third person is called, in technical language, the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God. Do not be worried or surprised if you find it or him rather vaguer or more shadowy in your mind than the other two. I think there is a reason why that must be so. In the Christian life, you're not usually looking at him. He is always acting through you. If you think of the Father as someone out there in front of you, and the Son as someone standing at your side, helping you to pray, trying to turn you into another son of God, then you have to think of the third person as someone inside you or beside you. Perhaps some people might find it easier to begin with a third person and to work backwards. God is love, and that love works through people, especially through the whole community of Christians. But the spirit of love from all eternity is a love going on between the Father and the Son. Mm. So again, there, Lewis reflecting that thought of St. Augustine mm -hmm. about God being love itself, uh, God the Father being the lover, the Son, God the Son being the beloved, and the Holy Spirit being the love itself. Mm. And also each week, we come up with some great quotation from our reform heritage. And this week, Pastor Kirk, you, you dug deep all the way back to... Jonathan Edwards. My goodness, yeah. who wrote the reform pastor. He's a very reform uh, writer. And what did you find in Jonathan Edwards? Well, the context of this quote I was sharing the, with uh, the congregation on the South Campus, the, the kind of influence that the power of the Holy Spirit has on people. Sometimes people respond with terror, some with trembling, some with ecstasy, some with fainting, some with exaltation. And uh, Jonathan Edwards, in discussing the powerful effects of the Holy Spirit, wrote this, he said, the Spirit gives a sense of God's majesty and greatness as a flame infinitely pure and bright so as sometimes to overwhelm soul and body. Mm. The ecstasy of the Spirit. Mm. Uh, so those times when I'm in worship or praying or listening to other Christians sing about the faith and, and I'm overwhelmed, mm. feel overwhelmed and I can't exactly explain why. Right. That's uh, a time where I'm in touch with the Holy Spirit. 
I remember one time I was at an Alpha conference and I was sitting there and and for some reason I was weeping. Mm. And I think probably it was because I finally found what I wanted to do or what God wanted to do with me at Valley Presbyterian Church. Mm. And it was it was to take the Alpha course there. And um, I was there for a while and... Uh, a friend of mine that told me about the conference from seminary, he, um, he came down and, and pulled me aside and we went to the, to the side and, and uh, we prayed. And he's, he was a big, burly cop, you know. And he said to me, sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, I leak. <laughs> I mean, he cried, right? Right. Uh, yeah. I love that. So that made me feel, you know, because I was a little bit, and it was a little embarrassing, you know, that that here I am, you know, weeping, uh, you know. This was probably back in 2003 or four, you know, so I was a little embarrassed, you know, I'm a grown man crying in this worship setting. And uh, but he was this big, tough, burly cop and made me feel better by saying when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he leaks. You know, sometimes we hear the joke that the Presbyterians are God's chosen frozen, mm -hmm. uh, that we're big on order, but not so much on ardor, on the emotions. But really, both have been part of the Reformed tradition for a long time. The crest of John Calvin has a human hand, and it's offering a heart that is uh, bursting with flames, mm -hmm. so flames above this heart being offered to God. So that's the order and the order together. I want to give a God worship with all I am, with, with my mind and with my heart, with my body and soul, all of that offered to God. Mm. So, yeah, I know a lot of times we think of Calvin austere and, and hard, and, but I hear, you know, what I've read, he was very pastoral, very kind and warm Hearted. Yeah, he was just Swiss, so a little reserved. Right. <laughs> well, Bruce, uh, today I thought maybe we could close our time in prayer and use the prayer that I used on Sunday. How, how would that be? I think that'd be a great way to close. So I did not write this prayer. This prayer is what is used on the Alpha Course. So the story and the prayer go together pretty well, actually. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn away from everything which I know to be wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your Holy Spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you, Bruce.
Thank you.